Can you hear me okay now? I can hear you. Yes, sir. Cool, man. I don't know if my iPad set to use my microphone. Yeah, man, you know, I was using, like, I was, like, plugging the USB from my mixer and then, like, my mics into my MacBook just to do these Zoom podcasts. Uh-huh. And I get better audio just talking into the computer. I'm going to play with my Blue Yeti mics because I hadn't tried that yet with like a Zoom. But it's like it's like a lower volume. Like I have to do editing when I use a mic. It's weird. Yeah. Well, I use Zoom for work, but I use it on my laptop. I'm not, uh, my iPad, so try on my iPad. Yeah, well, it's good to see you, man. Yeah, you too, man. How you been doing? Good, good, good. Appreciate you taking uh, the time to come on uh, the podcast. Yeah, man, no problem. Have uh, Have you guys been dealing with the like? What's it like in Vegas right now with the shutdown? Um, I mean, it's fine. Uh, you know, there's uh, I don't feel like there's any real reason to complain about because there's not much we can do about it. Um, being tired though, <laughs> I'm ready for things kind of get back to normal. You know. Uh, I definitely miss doing jiu-jitsu. Uh, we're doing Zoom classes like a lot of uh, the schools around the country. But, uh, you know, like a lot of schools around the country, it's, we're going to be affected by it. And then when we come out of the quarantine, what's, what's jiu-jitsu look like with phase one, phase two, phase three of Trump's plan? We're, we're, how does that change what we do? So, uh, And how long does it take to go through those phases? Yeah, exactly. So, I, I, you know, Obviously, I think everyone's safety uh, should be our number one priority. But at the same time, at what point does life get back to normal? So, I don't know. We'll see. Hi, man, we've been having awesome participation on, like, the kids' Zoom classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, my adult kickboxing. I have several people log in, and we just, like, do a crazy shadow boxing workout. And... <laughs> that's had good participation, but like that's immediately, like anytime I talk to a jujitsu guy, I'm like, what are you doing right now? What have you been working on? What are your Zoom classes like, you know? Pretty much all of our Zoom classes are, uh, they're 30 minutes long. So we do a warm up like we normally do. And then it's top techniques, stock control, mount, stuff like that, knee on belly. Um, things that they can do fairly easy if they're not on a soft surface. Uh, with a homemade dummy um so it's working out okay but you know it, it takes some of the enjoyment of seeing people and obviously you can't roll so it's hard to rest I'm not saying you can't improve do things you can but it's it's just not the same yeah i know man and dude like the man i love doing like i've been doing tons of these podcasts like this so i get to see people and it's awesome and like as soon as i see them i'm like oh a person right. it's it's still not the same it's awesome but it's not um it's less than ideal than sitting down with the person it's like there's like you see that there's levels to being around somebody that's like talking on the phone and texting and there's yeah. this 
and then there's one-on-one -on -one, like you know when you're when you're nearby somebody and just chatting with them yeah i'm interested to see when all this kind of blows over if uh conversations become more awkward and people are in the back of their mind worried about uh this virus or other things like that i don't know it just it, i don't know it's, we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime and in addition to that my parents you know they never saw anything like this in their lifetime so uh it's just kind of a crazy situation yeah this guy that was just on my podcast here in the studio before the uh pandemic got bad um his great grandma died in a the third wave of the spanish flu mm -hmm. So everybody's talking right now, there was a second wave. Well, apparently there was a third wave and it killed my buddy's great grandma. Yeah. So like crazy. And I, I mean, that's the, that is the unknown that I, I am like, uh, I guess you could say more concerned about. It seems like we're headed uh, down the path to um, these phases of reopening, but there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainties. Are we ever gonna shake hands with people again? Yep. Like some, who was it that was saying that? Somebody was like, oh, was it Dr. Fauci? He was like, don't shake hands with anyone ever again. I don't understand why we shake hands anyway. It's, it's a perfect way for uh, diseases to well, spread. And I was like, well, we shake hands for a number of reasons, you know, <laughs> that's just, it's part of human nature. Um, I don't know, it's, it's weird, man. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people didn't take it serious up front. And like, I kind of did, like, I, 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 you know, I started working from home like three or four weeks before it got bad in Vegas because I, we have tons of people at our corporate office that are international travelers and they go all across the, um, you know, the globe for opening up casinos and whatnot. And uh, I don't know, man, I just, the more I read about it and the more I read about the news from China, like in my back of my head, I was like, man, people aren't taking it serious enough you know and then um i think yesterday was the first day i've been to a grocery a grocery store in five weeks you know my trips have been pretty uh limited i've went to <laughs> the donut shop because that's essential to me and uh a grocery store once or twice yeah but we had food and we had stuff stocked up already um, my wife always buys stuff themselves so we just kind of stayed stay at home yeah yeah, I mean, man, I've been very limited in what I've gone and done too. I've just been mostly at the house or doing it, doing stuff at the, around the new gym. You know, we've just got moved in like for two weeks, but it's allowed us to really get settled in like so much more having this time. Well, you know, another thing that's really crazy about the whole virus, have you seen some of the articles where it talks about, um, you know, this hit in January, but they're saying people could have had it in November and December. November, yes. I heard November. I will tell you what. I did a seminar in Memphis um, in December, okay? I went down there. I, I tested someone, and I uh, I did a seminar. And it's an international flight. Even though it's a small international air, uh, airport, it's an international flight. I flew home. Like four days after I flew home, I caught the flu. And I've had the flu a number of times. And I've never once had a flu shot. And I'm fairly uh, athletic and I'm young. But like after eight days of being sick and not going away, and I, I, I literally I felt like I felt like I was dying at parts. 
I hurt everywhere. I had a fever. I had a cough that wouldn't go away, go away. So I went to the doctor and they said, no, you don't have the flu. You just have like a sinus infection on a really bad cold. And I was like, man, I don't know. This doesn't feel like no damn cold to me. Like this, this, this feels rough. So I said, I'm just 10 days of work. Okay. And I, I literally, I quarantined myself in my own room because I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to get my kids sick at the time. So like 12 days later, I go back to the doctor. I'm like, hey, you know, my fever's gone. You know, I'm not as achy, but this cough will not go away. So they gave me something from the cough that was like a five-day uh, steroid pack and something else to help with the cough. But literally, I, I saw, I read that off and I was, I was talking to my wife about it. And we were like, I wonder if I had it. Because I was on an international flight, okay? Um, the symptoms didn't show up for three or four days. So after I got home, and I got tested for the flu, but I said it wasn't the flu. And then I went back to the doctor, and I got something from the cough that wouldn't go away. I ran a fever the entire time. So I, I was, and you know, it could be coincidence, but you know, my mom was kind of playing through it. But I just remember, like, you know, when you get a cold and you've done jiu for years, it sucks in ways. Because the only thing you've ever popped, tore, hurt, whatever, it hurts. But I had never felt so bad in my life as I did when I had that. I, I just swore up now I had the flu. And you know, I got tested twice for it. And uh, I said I didn't have the flu. But uh, that's why I thought that article that I saw was extremely interesting. And so I got super sick, man, right after I took that international flight. But, uh, that's crazy, man. Like yeah, you know, they're doing that they're at-home test kit to see if you've had it. Um, I'm gonna order one. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it and see it. You know, just see if I had it. Just because uh, they're asking for people that have had it and recovered to donate blood, so they can test their blood for uh, antibodies or something like that to help make a vaccine. But um, I just think it'd be very interesting to know if I had it. But I'm not gonna lie, man. Like, all everything lines up with the symptoms, and like, dude, it, it, I was sick. Like, it was horrible. So I don't know. We'll see. That's crazy, man. You know, I had the flu two years ago, and then I had bronchitis last year. Mm -hmm. And, man, that was the worst I have ever felt, like, in terms of, like, not being able to breathe, breathe yeah. just, uh, like, respiratory issues. Like, it was scary, man. Um, I, was, I was super worried about it. Like, and it was, it was an ongoing thing, and it's like, it started around Halloween, but it came back like um, like I'd gone and got on some meds, and um, then it, like six weeks later, it had kind of like reemerged, and it was just as bad. Uh, so I don't know if it just never fully went away or what, but man, it was terrible. Yeah, and you're you're very healthy. Imagine what it's like for someone that smokes. You know what I'm saying? Someone that's not as healthy. Um, my mom smokes and every time she gets a cold it turns into bronchitis and like it sounds horrible but she's smoked her entire life and she's you know she's not going to quit you know she knows and she hell she was an RN for 50 years like she 100% knows better you know but uh, I don't know it's just it's what it is yeah yeah man well uh, so how's um, how long have you lived out in Vegas now uh, we've been out here just past two years. So. Yeah. Hey, so, like, you you moved out there for, for like, what you do with, with, like, your casino job, right? Like, what – can you kind of go into that? Yeah, so it wasn't just for the job. Um, 
we were actually going to move to Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, up in the Johnson City, Knoxville, Tennessee uh, area. We wanted away from Memphis. Um, why? It, Memphis is, you know, there's, there's great things about Memphis, and there's great people in Memphis that I've become great friends with. But the area is just decreasingly going down. And um, I just wanted away from it. I didn't want, I figured if we settled there, all kids would settle there. And if it looks this bad now, I, I kind of wonder what it would look like in 30 or 40 years. Because I've been there since I was four years old. And, I, you know, from the time I can remember, it's just been a downward slope that hasn't improved. Um, so I had actually been with my company for 13 years. And um, I put my month notice in. I gave them like a, a month or two month notice in and said, hey, we're selling on house, we're leaving. And so, like, the week I did that, uh, the vice president of IT from the company called me and said, hey, man, um, why, why are you leaving the company? Because I was a manager of uh, IT for two properties that we had in, in Tunica. And I, I told him, I was like, man, it's not the company by any means. But I, I was told I couldn't be a remote employee. And um, I, uh, I just don't want to be in this area. Like, I, I don't want my kids raised in this area. And he's like, well, look, you know, I might be able to work something out where you could be a remote employee, but why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you fly out to New Jersey? We have properties there that are on great areas. And then why don't you fly out to Vegas? And he's like, check it out. And uh, I say, I want you to stay at the company at all possible. So uh, they offered me a corporate position that matched my manager's salary, and then they paid for the move. So I sat down and I talked to my wife. I said, you know, worst case scenario, we don't like it. And we were away from Memphis, and we moved to Knoxville some other time. Um, so we visited New Jersey, and we visited Vegas. And in New Jersey, the, the, the towns were like 15,000, 20,000. And, and having a, a large-scale school there would be doable, but, like, you would have to – like, it would be a lot of work, a lot of advertising, because there was no big population. It was just small towns, so you had to pull from different towns. But then in Vegas – the competition was huge. There's schools. Like, I, people ask me about jiu-jitsu out here. And from my house, where I am sitting right now, in a, uh, a five-mile radius, there is 36 jiu-jitsu schools. So I've Googled it. It's crazy. Um, you, you can't go a block without seeing a martial arts school here. So, But the, out here, the competition is just it's to the max. But we were like, well, McDonald's and Burger King, McDonald's and Williams, we're not worried about competition. Competition breeds success. Um, what did it for us out in Vegas was the mountains. Uh, people come to Vegas all the time for, you know, the casinos, the shows, the gambling. There is tons of stuff to do out here. I mean, off the strip, the mountains, Red Rock Canyon, Lake Mead, the Colorado River, three hours from here is Zion National Park, four hours from here is uh, Disneyland, Legoland. I mean, there's so much to do. And in New Jersey, there was a beach. And it was just like, that was pretty much it, you know. Uh, so, like, that's kind of what pushed us to come out of Vegas is, one, the population in the area we live in is like 300,000 people. We knew a school would be successful. And within two years, we got it up to 115 students right before all this stuff happened. Um, which, you know, that, that's, that's decent. And, uh, and we were growing it faster than we did a, a school in South Haven with a population of like 34,000 people. Um, but and now we're dealing with that. this whole pandemic that kind of 
this we haven't had any new enrollment, so that's going to set us back. But I think it was the right call overall. And um, coming out here has helped me in a lot of ways, especially in jiu-jitsu. Uh, I've gotten a lot better since I moved out here because where I had really good guys to work with back home out here, it's not like I go to the school and there's one or two guys that can really push me. I go to the school and there's like 30 guys that can push me or beat the hell out of me, um, which is now I'm used to it. But when I first came out here, I was not. It was like every time I slapped hands with someone, it was a constant fight not to get submitted. You know, it was crazy how good people were. And not like black belts. I'm talking about like from blue to purple to brown. The, the skill level from what I was used to was just on a different level. And then the benefits for my family is we didn't have any friends, didn't have any family. So we rely on each other and my family became a lot closer, which is uh, the biggest information on why we move. I know that's a long-winded answer, sorry. <laughs> no, man, this this is the stuff I wanted to talk to you about. So, I mean, uh, I haven't I haven't got to chat with you too much since you moved, but... Um, yeah, man. I missed you last time your crew came to Vegas, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did we can? I think we came for a widespread panic concert, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, Man, I want to come. To, I'm off this summer. I taught summer school the last two summers at college. So I haven't gone to the um, martial arts super show. Have you gone? Did you go last year? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's right down right the road. road. <laughs> yeah. Did you, was it like one year, like right before that, you didn't go or something? Or, or like Demetri didn't go or one of you didn't go? It was the year that we moved. Um, so it was, it, was, it was not the last two, but the, the, I guess the three years back. Knew that we moved because uh, I had just been promoted to not. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was three or four years ago. It was when I got promoted to IT manager, and I had just been promoted, and we we were. It was me and like two other employees over two casinos, so um, I, I I had to opt out that time. But other than that, I think the last ten I've only missed two. Nice man, that is. I, I want to go this summer because it's always so beneficial. You just. A, you get motivated and inspired. B, you get ideas in which you can't implement them all immediately. But um, it just like, man, it, it, it exposes you to a lot of things that I've taken away and implemented in my business or just changed the way I lo uh, looked at something or thought about it, which ultimately led to success on down the road. Yeah, it, it's amazing how many people don't know about the Super Show. Um, like, you know, of this school owner I talk to, and I don't talk to it anywhere near as me as uh, like my wife does. But like, I I talk to him and like, hey, they're like, no, I don't need to go down. I was like, eh, you don't need to. That that's uh, first of all, you haven't been, so you don't know what you're missing. Second of all, at what everything you just said is true. But for someone who's never been and go and actually see how big the industry is worldwide, that's impressive. Second of all. To go and talk to some of the really successful people that are making more money than doctors and lawyers, that's motivation right there. You know, it's like, but then if you're one of those people that you go and you're like, I'm not doing that. That won't work. Nope. I, I don't like how they're doing that. But yet they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to get out of your own way sometimes. And it's, it's funny how many of those shows I go to and I'm seeing, I just teach. You know, I have a full-time job. So I hear the same thing over and over and over again, and I don't ever implement it because, like, I'm not doing sales. I'm, I watch my wife do it, and she's very successful with it. 
So then I sit in the back and I, I just listen. And I always catch that, you know, that group, that person from me that's sitting there like, that wouldn't work for me. I, well, I do this. I, well, you're in this class because what you're doing isn't working. But yet you're not even giving the guy respect and listening to him as he's telling you what works in his school. That's what drives me nuts, you know. And it's always yeah. it's something like Mike Metzger. It's like that guy is extremely successful. Why would you speak while he's speaking? Like, like literally, like you're having a separate conversation in the back. While this guy is extremely successful, is telling you how to grow your business. It's like, why did you even come to the Super Show? So that, that those are the things that get me. If you're gonna go, like go and be focused, have a plan, and uh, be respectful and pay attention. Is it? I, I don't think so many martial arts really practice what they preach. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, yeah, you tell no, them, I do. I do, man. Like, and man, I've gone, like, I always go on with the mindset of like, I attend as many classes as I can, man. I'm always geeking out on like that schedule, man. I'm like, oh man, no, there's these two at the same time. Oh. But man, when I go, I may only take one thing from that class, but if I attend five classes in the day and then I got five things, you know, and like, I, I, I just kind of had like a, I know I can't take everything from the super show. I know I can't take everything from a single seminar, but I, I try and latch on to those things in the sessions that could very easily just patch onto my business. Yeah. And then when I do get back, I got a bunch of things that could potentially patch on and um, we start trying to plug and play and it's, it's fun. That process is fun. I've missed it the last couple of years. Yeah. To me, it's just like juicy, right? I mean, um, you will never get a technique right the first time. Like people that think they do are wrong because they, they don't understand the technique. So like what I tell my students is you, you watch the technique, take one thing. Like if you can get one thing and have it set in your mind and you know it, next time you see the technique, you'll build off it. It's the same thing like with like business. You know, if you get one idea from that 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 speaker at that on that subject, and then you go back. And you already had that idea. You pick up the second one, and you just you grow off of it. Um, and I don't know. Like I, I just, I think everyone should go to the super show if they have a martial arts school. I think it would help everyone. I just, I think if they go, they need to make it worth their while, have an open mind. Um, that's where, you know, obviously, to me, it's a lot of the guys that have been in the martial arts for 20, 30 years, and like you know, like. I've already seen everything. I've seen the trends. I've seen this. I've seen this. I'm like, maybe, but everything's changing now. You know, everything's changing. I, I'm super, I, I'm happy to see so many more judicious schools there and so many more MMA schools there, too. I don't know. How long have you been going to Super Show? Like 10 years? Oh, man. I've gone to six. And I've not, it's been close. I've, my first year I would have been, went was, I think, in 2012. Okay, so like in 2012, for example, MA guys on the right, all the traditional guys on the left. You know what I'm saying? There was this big divide. And it was like, you know, they were all staring at each other. They're all like, yeah, you're a McDonald's school. And you're like, but you know what I'm saying? And now, nothing. You know, the, the other one, you know, now everyone's like in it to make money and to grow their business. And when I say to make money, it's not to sacrifice like the value of the program or what we do to, for our communities. But if you want to be successful and you want to help the community, you have to have your doors open. You have to make money. And that's where I think a lot of schools that, um, 
think traditional schools cop out and stuff like that. But you have to be open, you know. So I, I just remember the first time I went to the Super Show, and I, I think that was anywhere from 2010-2012. The, the the difference between like the the mixed martial arts schools and traditional schools and the traditional schools was uncanny. Like you, you could you could they they looked like they didn't want to mix in the same room together. You know what I'm saying? Like it was hilarious. And I, it, the the very first year I went was the year that Dana White spoke. Um, and that was a, that that was a great uh, keynote speaker, you know. And uh, hey, Damon John was the first one when I went. Was that the guy from Shark Tank? Yeah. Yeah, that was a year after Dana Wright, and then after him was the uh, Lone Survivor guy, uh, Martha. Marcus Luttrell. Marcus Luttrell. Yeah. And that dude was awesome. Uh, funny story about him. <laughs> I read his book and uh and I met him and I got to talk to him, but I will never forget when I, I I was I saw him walking the, the super show floor. <laughs> and uh he was talking to this lady. So like I wanted to get him to autograph my book. So I walked up. I didn't say anything. I I yeah, I say respectful distance away, like two feet. So he knew I was there, he saw me, but I was waiting patiently for him to finish the conversation and I was asking him to sign a book. Dude, this black belt kid who had to be like 17 or 18, just like storms in front of me, it's like, hey, can you sign my book? And he goes, excuse me, man. And he turns, he's like, no, I won't sign your book because I'm from Texas and I have manners. I was raised with manners. Did you not see me speaking to this lady? Do you know how rude it is to cut someone off? Dude, he lit into this kid, and I was just like, <laughs> and you know, like, some people might have looked at what, like, really, why would you do that? He's a fan, but at the same time, like, everything he was saying was dead on, and he's like, this kid, he was, I'll never forget, the kid was a second-degree black belt in, like, karate taekwondo, and, like, just literally, like, bars into his conscience, and he just lit into it, that kid put his head down and walked, like, behind me and waited, you know what I'm saying? It was hilarious, and, like, I just like seeing people that, uh, you know, like from his book, the way he was raised and whatnot, and then listen to his speech and then seeing that interaction. Like he was living what he preached. Like the things that he said, like you, I got the feeling like he really means, which I like. But uh, this one of the funniest stories from Super Show that I always like. That's hilarious, man. Um, how is his book? I haven't read it. It's good, man. That dude is crazy. He, uh, he trained to be a SEAL his entire life. Like, Dude, I'm not joking. His neighbor was a SEAL. So, like, at like uh, in his teenage years, he asked his neighbor to start training him to be a SEAL. Like, there was no question on what he wanted to do. Like, he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. He says he was a Navy SEAL. He trained for it. Like, so he got to the, the, the SEAL Academy, and he was highly trained and highly ready to do it. Um, yeah, man, it, it's a crazy book. Um I'm going to have to check it out, man. I recently did um, David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me. And, yeah, I'll um, to that now. Extreme. Oh, it's so good, right? Yeah. Have you um, – are you familiar with the other one that he was involved with, uh, Living with the Seal? No. It's real short. I listened to the – I listened to it. It's like five or six hours. But he goes and lives with this CEO. And the CEO writes the book about like what it was like living with David Goggins every day. And it's, it's awesome. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm listening to the, you can't hurt me now. And I listened to the, uh, 
I'm going blank. The one about the, the admiral that did the speech on making your bed. Um, oh, I don't. I, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I'm not familiar with the book. Yeah, I'm going blank on the name of it. It was really good too. Um, Man, message message me later if you remember it, and any other books you have, because I've been um, I've been super on a book listening and reading tear this year. I'm trying to get a hundred books in. In fact, I can tell you right now, it's on my phone. Cool. But no, it, 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 uh, books like that motivate you because you, you hear people that have gone through crazy stuff and, and how they uh, they overcome it. Just stir up. And it's all the way you think. It's really cool. Man, do you do Audible or how do you, how do you listen to your books? I'm doing Audible right now. Me too. I love. It. I do a lot of bike riding right now, um, so I like to listen to it on my bike. Man, like once you, well, and at least in certain parts, but like once I got off the Vegas Strip and drove around Vegas, man, there's actually some really nice parts and some really nice neighborhoods and communities that are just you know not around the places you normally would go. Yeah, it really is. The only thing you have to be. Um, the only area that I would say I would stay away from is North Las Vegas. Generally, outside of that, most of the areas here aren't that bad. Nice, um, man. I did extreme ownership. That was another good one with Jocko. Jocko. Yeah. That. Yeah. He that dude is doing three different podcasts now. Hmm. Oh, no, it is Make Your Bed. Okay, Make Your Bed. I'll check yeah. it out. I'm always looking for um, the next good book to uh, to take in. Yeah. Well, man, how did you get into martial arts? Like, when did you start training? How did you get involved? Um, so, I saw a training at first when... <laughs> I mean, it's probably one of those stories that you hear quite often. I was in second grade. Uh, I was on a bus, and a kid said, hey, I want your seat. And I said, no. And he punched me in the eye. Yeah, I was like, okay. <laughs> so we got in a fight. And, I, I, you know, I lived in a bad part of Memphis. And, uh, you know, Memphis is a very racist area both on both sides. And there was – and the school I went to, there was only six white kids total. Um, so it was both ways. But um, I got picked on a lot. And there was days that it just it was non it was nonstop. And my mom was like, nope, nope, we're going to cry. So that's how I got to cry. And um, I, I didn't stop until I, I had my brown belt. And what's funny is Robbie Beard was my cry instructor, him and Don Crenshaw. Uh, Robbie Beer was 17 years old, I think, and I was wow. uh, I was like, you know, seven, Dude, I'm, I, I haven't hit him up, but I want to have Robbie on the podcast. It'd be awesome to talk with him. Yeah, I'm sure he will, man. He's a good dude. But, I like uh, training at seminar. I've gone to a couple of jiu-jitsu seminars with him. I mean, he's a, he's a legit black belt as far as I'm concerned. I mean, what I've been around him. Yeah, he is, man. Um, you know, that's, that's a funny story, actually, but um, – in that the area in Memphis, the Jewish community, it, it's grown. But like 
early on when it was small, it was super uh, critical of everyone. Like, everyone that wasn't a black belt or everyone that trained, like Memphis BAJ, it was very critical. But, no, that got me into martial arts, man. And then I had a, some medical issues. I had a tumor in my jaw. And I had to get out for a long time. And I, I always wanted to get back into it. And, like, my mom was like, nope. The doctor said no. There was no football, even though I played football anyways. There was no baseball. I played baseball anyways, you know. But my mom was like, I'm not, no. No martial arts. I'm not paying it. No, not doing it. So I didn't get back into it until I could pay for it myself. I was 19 years old. Um, as soon as I moved out, uh, you know, I got a job that could pay for rent and classes. I saw a training again. I saw a training in Taekwondo and uh, did a lot of point sparring tournaments and stuff like that. Did Kempo. Uh, and then I found Jiu-Jitsu, which is by far my favorite of all of it now. How, how, how did you get involved with jiu-jitsu? Did you start off with Roy Dean immediately? No. So, like, man, my buddy was a ranger uh, in Iraq, and he, he had come home, and they were doing racing combatives there. So he comes home, and he's like, man, I want to do the MMA. And I'm like, okay. I was like, do it. I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, no, man, I, I, I need someone to help me with my stand-up. He's like, my ground game's fine. I'm like, what? Really? Okay. So he's like, would you like, you know, work my stand-up with me? I'm like, yeah, man. So, like, we would come in, we would hit pads, and I would watch him in the back. And then we would spar, and I would just beat the hell out of him. And, like, he had no footwork, and he had, like, you know, when I say I beat the hell out of him, like, you gotta understand, we're like brothers. Like, it wasn't like one of those guys that were, like, you know, anytime he could sucker shot me, he would 100% sucker shot me. So I took advantage of beating the hell out of him. But uh, one day after we were trained, so, hey, Let's roll. I'm like, what do you mean roll? What, what is that? He's like, no, let's, let's grapple. I'm like, no, I don't do that gay stuff. He's <laughs> like, so you're going to sit there and punch me in the face for an hour straight, but you won't leave me like five minutes on the ground? And I'm thinking, you're a cocky little bastard, you know? He weighs 159 pounds. I was like, I was a little overweight. I was like 229 pounds. I'm like, fine, we'll roll. And, dude, he beat the crap out of me. And, like, he had, like, four months of racing combat, so nothing really, you know, a couple of takedowns, some basic stuff. But I just remember him getting on top of me. And, like, he, like, he took mounting, grapevine my legs, you know. And at the time, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know what to do. So, of course, I rolled like an idiot. And he choked me. You know, like, it was just repeat, repeat. And I was like, this is bull crap. I'm like, why is it? I mean, and I knew like I was bigger, I was taller, I weighed more than him. Um, and like I was a little overweight at the time, but like I I sparred all the time, so like I I had good cardio, but like two minutes on the ground, me pushing and trying to yank and pull, and I was exhausted. And I'm like, no, this can't happen. So like I started looking for a jiu-jitsu um, school, and like at the time there wasn't much. There was Memphis BJJ. And there's a uh, place in Olive Branch, which was uh, right next to South Haven, about 10 minutes. And we went to the Super Show. And when I was at the Super Show, you remember that? I don't know if they were still there in 2012, but the, the BJJ American booth with John Wills and David Mayer? Hmm. I don't know if I ever remember seeing them. So, yeah, I think, like, the first year I was there, and then, like, after that, they, 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 they stopped going. But they had been there for quite a almost since the start of Super Show. And they had this online um, 
curriculum thing where you would do the curriculum and then you would go to one of their certified schools and you would test. And I was like, you know what? I could drill on my own. I could use my buddy. He, he, you know, he has a little bit of training and we could just do this. So I started doing that. And about six months into it, I, I got bare. And I was like, man, I need people to row. I, I, need, I need more. You know, I realized that early on that doing you know, a book and videos wasn't enough. So I, I went to Fight Clint, which is now Shack Face MMA, with uh, John David. He's a brown belt. Still a brown belt. But um, and he was a local fire. So I went in there. I signed up. And uh, I just got trashed, man, like nonstop. <laughs> like, just got beat up. Uh, you know, uh, back in the day, like a lot of MMA schools, it was just like, all the way walking through the door was food, you know, for the sharks. And then if you stuck around long enough and you pay your dues and you got your butt kicked enough, you know, people were like, okay, this guy's not going anywhere, you know. So people didn't want to invest time and training partners that weren't going to last, you know, because they felt like it was a waste. Which to a certain degree, I guess I, I got. Um, but I, one of the guys there that was a blue belt or the fire, he kind of took me under his wing and really started helping me. Uh, his name was Tim Galuzzi. And like one day, his sparring partner hit a fight coming up, didn't show up. And he was like, Hey, you. I'm like, Yeah. He's like, Don't you do like taekwondo? You, like, do you do stand up? I'm like, Yeah. And he's like, You know, your jiu really sucks. I was like, okay. Uh, he's like, I tell you what, if you like, you know, do 30 minutes of stand up with me, I'll, I'll work your jiu for you a little bit. I'm like, all right. So, like, we touch hands, and he comes at me, and I do a spin hook kick, block him right on his head. And he's like, whoa. He's like, dude, like, you like really know stand up. I'm like, I said to type one. He's like, yeah, but that, that, that doesn't mean you know stand up. Right? And so he's like, okay. So, like, we start sparring, and do I, like, I ain't a lot. He dropped me like with a freaking kidney punch, which is not something I'm used to. Well, it's like Juan because we don't do a lot of kidney shots. So we spar like hard for 30 minutes. And I earned his respect. And he's like, look, man, if you will come in like two, three days a week and do 30 minutes to stand up with me, afterwards I'll do, you know, two days, three, we'll do 30 minutes of jiu-jitsu. And I, he helped me out get better. And I was there all the way up to my blue belt. Um, I mean, like, there it was, it was crazy, man. Like, in order to get your blue belt when you were Ray, you had to be choked unconscious. And whoever was your training partner, like your, your number one training partner, they got to choke you out, and they got to pick the submission. Well, that guy, Tim Luzzi, was my, my main training partner, and he picked a damn prudent necktie to choke me unconscious with. Yeah, that, it sucked. I did, though, man. I got my blue belt. Um, and right after that uh, – John David, he got offered a job in Las Vegas. And a lot of people don't know this part uh, in that, that community because uh, I never told anyone. He offered it. He wanted me to buy a school. And I, 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 I talked to my wife about it. And we were like, because he was moving. So all he has is blue belts. And I'm like, well, why would we buy his school and take on payment when there's gonna be nothing but blue belts there? I mean, I'm a blue belt. I could just start my whole program here with no overhead. It would cost us nothing but mats, which, you know, mats all benefit from the Taekwondo people too. So, you know, I, I talked to him and said, man, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going I'm to buy mats um, and do my own thing at my own school since you're, 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 you're moving. 
And at that time, I had already reached out to Roy Dean about being a long-distance student and set up uh, coming to see him about affiliating with him before he had the program. Um, so we were on good terms. And then he had a fight and blew his back out. And kind of that, that, that fight that he had uh, ended his fight career and it kind of messed up his plans of moving to Vegas. Because he had a job at Extreme Couture lined up, but he got sidelined and lost that position. So his school became the only thing like he had. So, like, he calls me up, and he's like, man, I'm going to need you not to open a juicy program. And I'm like, man, it, I'm like, look, you need to sit down and talk. Because, like, that's not happening. Like, I, I don't want to, like, lose you as a buddy or anything like that. But I've already signed up with Roy Dean. I've already flown out there and met him. I've already bought masks. It's like, I've already set a date. It's happening. Like, I'm doing my own thing. And so we, we went and had lunch together. He's like, man, like, you know, juicy doesn't make me a lot of money. But what my biggest money is is, like, in May. He was like, you know, would you be okay? Would you agree to, like, not doing an MMA program? I'm like, yeah, no problem. And, like, to this, that, like, you know, the entire 10 years after that, I never did. And, you know, and, like, we were always fine. Like, he, he came to a seminar at my school with my students. Uh, my, my students were cross-trained his place. His students were cross-trained. But it was just a mutual respect. Instead of, you know, like, going off on each other, we sit down over lunch and we talked about it. And like, you know, I just told him, like, this is where I stood. And he's like, man, this is where I stand. It's like, we were good. We shook hands. And a lot of people, like, from his school kind of thought that I screwed him over. Like, I just went out and opened my own program at the time. Well, that was not the case. And, you know, we, like, we were on – to this day, we're still on good terms. So, uh, you know, it's just handling things the right way. A lot of people in the community, when they have a problem with someone – but instead of like just going to that person and talking to him, they, they they tend to talk through others, which is not something I did. I, I made sure to talk to him uh, directly, which I'm glad I did because it worked out for the best. But I mean, that's how I got into jiu-jitsu. I've been with Roy Dean since. Uh, but I've been super fortunate that like with your affiliation with Dan Dream and you and Eric, I've made some really good friends there with Sean Hammonds out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee, his affiliation. Made some really good friends there. I'm just welcome, and like even like Robert Beard and his affiliation he's in, I'm welcome to train in a lot of different areas because, you know, I'm always pretty upfront with people, and, like, I don't do anything shady or anything or talk about anyone behind their back, which when I opened my school as a blue belt, it happened nonstop. Like, in the Memphis area, people were like, oh, he's not a real blue belt. Then I got my purple belt. I'm like, oh, he's not a real purple belt. Then I got my brown belt. Oh, he's not a real brown belt. And then, like, once I got my black belt, you know, I at that point I quit caring. And I had so many people come into my school, open mats, and cross train. I think everybody quit caring. But uh, it was just, I don't know, one of those things. Yeah, man. You were, I think, a purple belt when we met, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> um, yeah, you my ass at a tournament. <laughs> yeah, dude, I remember, what was like a Kimura or something like that? Yeah, I, I just remember, like, when we touched hand, I saw your face. I was like, oh, shit, this guy's here to compete. <laughs> you had such the competitor face, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, okay. Because it was me, you, and Buddy. We were in the same uh, same bracket. Anyway, it was all – it was the, the, the three of us. Well, I knew Buddy, but me and him had met you for the first time at that tournament. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, what what is Buddy doing these days? It seemed like somebody told me recently, but I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what they said. So I haven't talked to him in a while. Um, I don't know if he's trained. He just bought a new house, and he's got his own pain business. 
uh, and he, he has a dollar, so he's staying pretty busy. Um, you know, Emmett had just got his black belt. Yeah. I think that motivated Buddy uh, to start training again. I don't know. Buddy's one of those guys that he, he just uh, – I think he got burnt out with some of the politics behind Jiu-Jitsu um, with some of the things that were going on there. But, like, dude's good. Like, he should have had his black belt, his black belt a while ago. Like, he's really good. Um, and some, some of my, my success is from him and Eric. Eric Ingram, who's with your affiliation. Um, you know, at other belts, someone's helped me get to that next level. At, at blue belt, or for white belt, it was Tim Luzzi. At blue belt, it was really just finding the, the uh, Roy Dean and having a focused path on what I needed to do. At purple belt, it was um, really uh, Buddy and Ammon. Because, like, that's when I really started cross-training. And then I met Eric Ingram right like the week after I got my brown belt. And, uh, man, he just trashed me. Like, it was bad. It was real bad, you know. And, he does uh, that. I know, man. And uh, you know what's funny about Eric? You know, we, we've rode a lot. Okay, I can't even keep count of how many times we've rode. But I can tell you, I've submitted Eric six times. <laughs> Not only can I tell you I've submitted Eric six times, I can tell you in what order of the submissions I caught him at. And four of those were from his back with one arm rear naked chokes. The other one was a heel hook. The other one was an ankle lock. You know what I'm saying? Uh, his, like, he's going to kill me, but his biggest weakness is protecting his, his neck and, trans, and transition to the back. But you have to be able to pass his damn guard to do that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yes, but, I do. Finding him at brown belt was critical. Like, I got so much better, man. Um, because, like, it, and it wasn't like people, a lot of people were like, you know, he's just strong. No, he's not just strong. And then people were like, he's just fast. It's like, no, he's not just fast. It's everything. Like, he's an athlete. He's extremely good technically. He's got it up here. He's smart. Yeah, man. Strategy. Like, people were like, he, like, I have such respect. He's one of the best grapplers I've ever grappled. And, like, he doesn't realize how good he is. Like, he gets down on himself because, like, um, I, mean, I know he wants to be a world champion. He, he, he wants to be successful. And he goes to these tournaments. And, you know, he does well, but he doesn't always win. But if you watch him compete, like, I watched him in Vegas, uh, not last year, but the year before that. And he, he fought – Gambino from uh, New York, uh, Marcelo's student, and like he lost, but he didn't look out of place. And you're talking about a guy who's been trained with some of the best in the, in the world, you know, at least five days a week, and he looks good. You know, he he like a lot of people that are in Eric's circumstances where a majority of his training he's doing on his own. Um they would just get dominated. That wasn't the case. He did amazing. And then uh, I took him to open mat at Dome's place, at Evan Dome's place where Mike Magazzini trains. And I watched him, I watched him roll Michael Magazzini. That was fun. <laughs> That's probably the only time I've ever truly seen me get ass kicked. Like, and that dude's a freak. Like, I, uh, I go, well, I did before all this crap happened. I go to 
open mats over his Sunday at uh, Evan Dove's, and he's always there. So I get to watch him roll quite a bit. And uh, dude's amazing. Like, he's amazing. Like, the way, I don't know, man, it's the, the way he moves, the, the way he, how creative he is, it, it's amazing to watch him. And his sister, like, you don't hear people talk about his sister. His sister's the exact same way. I mean, she's awesome, too. What are some of the other guys around uh, Vegas that you get to go cross train with? Man, so like, I'm welcomed uh, anywhere. Like, I, I was I was in the process of setting up some private lessons with uh, Vinny. Man, I just went blank on his last name. Uh, Magalhaes? Yes. He has a school that's like 30 minutes from me. Um, I was in the process of setting up some private lessons with him. But uh, – I go to 10th plant. I, I trained 10th plant for the first two months I was here um, just because I was just, I was really into no-gi and footlocks at the time. And uh, their school was really cool. Uh, it sucks to go in the summer because it's already hot. And when you go in there, they have black mats, they have black wall mats, and they turn the heater on after kids leave. So, and they open the doors. And it's, it's, just, it's crazy hot and there's sweat everywhere. Um, but, like, my, my home – Outside my school is Evan Dunn's. And it's a great place because it's a melting pot. On Saturdays and Sundays, there are open mats. There's people from Robert's – some people from Robert Drysdale. There's people from uh, Tenth Plant. There's people from uh, Extreme Couture. There's uh, just all the schools. Like, you'll have, like, one guy from here, one guy – so you get to meet a lot of different people. And because of the UFC and the fights, it's like every weekend there's a fight. On Saturday night, you can be sure on Sunday, there's going to be somebody from out of town training. There's always guests. So I've got to train people from Texas, Florida. I got to play, I've got to train guys from Ireland. Uh, there were black belts, blue belts, purple belts. You know, just because it never fails, man. When there's a fight that weekend, there's always guests and there's always different people to row. And on the average, there's anywhere from uh, eight to 12 black belts there. So, like, you know, before like before I was a brown belt, I was I was I'd be lucky to roll a black belt four or five times a year, you know. And then I got my black belt and Eric his black belt and you know, we rolled. But now I'm rolling black I'll do seven or eight rounds of black belts, just nothing but black belts. And I was like, Whoa, you know, that's totally different. But then I I'll, I'll roll a blue belt who's dude, fall leaps and bounds past where I was at blue belt that's doing nothing but barren lows, nothing but uh, worm guard, crazy stuff that, you know, I don't play with a lot. And they're, they're extremely good. So, but it, it's, it's fun, but it's, it's not easy. You know, like when you get a black belt, everybody wants to be a black belt, but at the same time, the bullseye on your chest or your back goes very wide when you get a black belt. Everybody wants to be that guy that teaches a black belt. So, oh, it beats a black belt. Or I'm sure you know. Yeah, man, it does come with some weird responsibilities. Well, it just feels like you can't really take it easy unless you're rolling another black belt. Because then, like, when you roll another black belt, you have to tap hands and you just have fun, right? Because you're not trying to prove anything. But I feel like almost every underrate you roll, every single time you slap hands, it's like game face because they're going to go 100%, you know? So you get used to it, though. We were probably the same way. 
when I was when I was a blue belt and I got to roll with the white belt, I was probably like, I'm about to submit this dude and take over his school. You know, <laughs> I, I remember like when I did get to roll white belts, I I was stereotypical in that way for sure. It was just like, oh, they're a white belt, they're gonna beat my ass. I got to try real hard. Yeah, and I, I think you're hungry too, you know. But when you get that black belt, you. I won't say I'm not. I'm, I'm hungry for improvement, but there's no next step. Like there's degrees, but that doesn't really mean anything. The only thing that's important, the only thing a degree means to me is promoting my own students. You know what I'm saying? But that's only where I, that's the only reason I care about it. Um, but it's funny. It's like I I would consider myself not as hungry, but at black belt, I've gotten I've seen more improvement as a black belt than I, I ever did anywhere else. Um, now, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I have trained so long or maybe it's because of how I'm training now that, you know, I'm not so much worried about my performance. I'm just having fun. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, man, it, it could be a lot of things. And I, for me, it, you know how things come in like uh, waves. One of my friends the other day described it as a, he was like, yeah, I was having a renaissance in my Kimura game. Right. But it's like you, you go through like you remember like the second time you're like, man, my Kimura has come back around. But just like I remember going through that at like blue belt, and purple belt with like certain moves and then they come back around years later. But your whole view has like evolved tenfold, you know, yeah. in all areas. And it's like that's what allowed you to arrive at that next spot. Uh, if you're understanding and awareness and everything, but it's like that cumulative learning effect of just like, man, you, how long, how long have you been in the game now? Uh, I mean, I've been doing jiu-jitsu 13, 13 years, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. we're about the same. We're about the same yeah. I'm between 13 and 14 years right now. So, yeah. It's what's really cool is seeing the trends. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I remember early on when I, had just got my blue belt, the inverted guard of Ryan Hall was like, that was it. The other one had to do that. And then it was, you know, like Marcel Garcia and Damian Mai with single way X or Damian Mai, he called it the snake guard. You know, and, and then it was, uh, you know, the 50-50 was the next really big thing that I remember. Um, and before that, it was Jeff Glover's. It was a deep half guard with Bill Cooper and Jeff Glover and Ryan Hall. And like, you know, and now it's it's of course it went from uh, those to the Baron Bolo to the Worm Guard and just so I look at the trends and I've I've thought about that how people jump to on the trend and, and try to learn what's relevant or what's going what's on the circuit now and you know over the years like I did the same thing but now I'm like I want to I want to build my game as a black belt to the point that I don't care what my opponent does that my, I can impose my game. So that's kind of where I'm working at now. Um, I don't want to learn something just because it's what's working with people right now. I, I, want, to, I want to be able to apply my game on whatever other trends or position there is out there. And so I, that's what I've been focused on, man. Um, what have you been working on as a black belt? Man, um few things so just like since like later on in my brown belt that's when I started getting exposed to like the Hickson approach to training 
and got to yeah. train with Nixon a couple of times, but Jack Toffer, which you've trained with, I did a private with Jack the other day, man. And that dude showed me a way to break posture that I'd never been closed guard that I'd never seen or thought of. He's like, Oh yeah. When this one's not working, you do this one. And I was just like, and it's, it's so, it's like everything he's ever taught me. It, it, it's, it's got this bigger underlying principle to it, but it's so simple yet so effective. You can't believe that you didn't come up with it already. It's like, and it makes you question everything you're doing, but like that. So like that, but for me, like that's just one subset over here, right? Like that is like, yes. Okay. That's like a big third of what I'm doing. Then like we were just recently implemented uh, the 10th planet warmups right so we're still learning them we're on the fifth out of eight sets then they're all like flow drills like chained drills mm -hmm. um so once we get all those we'll do we'll have them implemented it's is part of the first part of class um do you know who omar french is yeah isn't he in arizona uh he is in um tulsa he was actually just on the podcast yesterday but our episode doesn't come out till next week but yeah. he does, he's had success. He offers like, uh, instead of an advanced jujitsu, and we are going to do this on our new schedule, um, to kind of like keep what is, uh, we're going to start with like some Donaher stuff, but he calls it a systems class. So like, we're going to basically just be like, hey, after jujitsu class, one night a week, we have this systems class where all we do is break down the Donaher leg lock system. That's all we do for this allotted amount of time. We're going to do like three of them a year. Um, but that's something just to kind of like my, my approach is to be eclectic in that way. Just like, look, 10th planet, what's coming out of Australia, Donaher and his guys, um, the, the Hicks and Gracie style and those fundamentals. Like I want all of that. So, um, but that's just been like basically, um, and in that same vein, like we do all subs in the gi, right? So like, I don't, I don't limit my students uh, to not being able to do heel hooks in BJJ class. So like we made that change a couple of years ago. So just little things like that, man, we're just always trying to, to add stuff in, man. I know, I feel like you've had a real similar approach. I've seen your DVD collection. Um, and I've trained with, you know, at the super shows and stuff, like traded takedown ideas. And man, I, I know you've studied a lot of different stuff. And that's kind of, that's kind of my approach, but studying like different schools and affiliations inside of jujitsu and uh, trying to come up with a synthesized product, you know? Yeah. So I do the same thing. I, uh, I watch everything. Like even if I know it's not gonna be stuff like I'm gonna do personally. Um, if someone asks me a question about it, I like to be knowledgeable of it. Um, if someone's gonna do it to me, I like to kind of know what they're doing. Like I don't bear low. I don't bear and low. Um, I don't like to invert at all because you know as I'm getting older, I'm having problems with my neck and stuff like that. I don't want to get caught in a position and have any weight dropped on me. So I'm much more cautious about it. But trust me, I get Baron Bolo here like every weekend. Like it's nonstop. So I've I've learned, you know, tricks and I've I've learned how to start defending it and escaping it. So um, I think it's important, especially at school owners. Um, 
I think some students might get too carried away and go in too many different directions. But as instructors, we shouldn't narrow our focus, in my opinion, you know, to like just one thing. Because if you do, you know, you're not going to help your students grow. So that's why I have such a deviated collection. That's why I watch so much jujitsu, just because it's really that help not just myself, but students. Man, one of the coolest things I've got going on, I've talked about this on the podcast a time or two, but there's this little old man that has been coming into my school. And he does, well, before the shutdown, he, he did my jiu-jitsu classes. He's 72. He is Chinese, but he grew up in the Philippines. He's a sixth Dan in judo. He's a third Dan in Aikido. He knows, like, one day he just was like, hey, look at these 10 Taekwondo cars. And, like, busted that out. He's a weapons expert. He's been trained in Kendo and Aido. Knows three styles of Wing Chun. Has shown me, like, over 100 move form on the Wing Chun dummy. Right? So I have two Wing Chun dummies now. But this guy comes in and just, like, trains me up. He does my jiu-jitsu class and he trains me. Um, and like everything I just mentioned, he's like synthesized it all together. And like, that's, that's awesome. something else I got going on in the background. He's coming up tomorrow night. The, and the guy's an orthopedic surgeon. So, and he speaks like four languages. So he's like super duper smart. Yeah. And, and man, he's a great communicator. And like, he has taught me so much. Like he's a literal, like, I'm just like, yeah, this dude's a master. Like, that's all I can describe him as. Like, he is, he has achieved some version of what I am after for what I'm doing. Yeah. So, that's cool, man. Yeah. One of those things I kind of wanted to learn. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I never, I never, I, like, I knew hand trapping drills, like, you and I could do, like, knife drills and stick drills and stuff. But I would need a partner. I never learned the application on the dummy. And I had a dummy for uh, Caleb's dad made me one. And it was just like a decoration. And now I, I use that thing like every day. Nice. It's awesome. It's a, it's a great tool to have around. And like for trapping, it's great. So, yeah, man. Well, dude, Alan, let's, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up, man. I, I like super is great talking to you, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. The next time you or Alan Davis hit me up. Oh, uh, I will for sure. I will for sure. We'll, we'll have to eat an acai bowl together. Um, I'd love to see your school, uh, all that. And, uh, I hope that I'm coming to the super show. That is, uh, that's on the agenda. Or, well, is it happening? Huh? Is it going to happen? No, it's not. Oh, it's not. They're not this year. They've already announced it. Um, they're going to do some Zoom classes for people this year. But I think with the hit that they took, because, you know, they went from doing to like a four to 500 packages a day to doing like 80. So uh, with the hit that they took because of all the schools shutting down, I don't think they could afford it, which I know there's a lot of people on, on Facebook are like extremely upset about that. But, man. I mean, that's life man think about all the sporting events and everything else it's kind of outside their control it's not their fault yeah but yeah. Then, here after that or uh, i'm gonna make it out to the black belt camp hopefully this year um so i'll see you there cool man cool well, it was great catching up buddy i will talk to you soon um uh, tell demetra and everyone that corn i said hello
Will do, man. Tell Corey we said hi. Yes, sir. See you. Bye.